How are y'all doing? I'm so glad you're all here this morning. It's 11.39. We typically are done at like 12, 12.05, so I got 20 minutes. We're good, right? So this first service, I felt real good this first service. Like, like first service was real good. People were talking back. It felt good. I liked the conversation we had. Can we do that second service? Okay, that was okay. Uh, so before I hop into this, this message, well, first of all, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jacob Harold. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, and if you're new with us, we want to get to know you. Uh, so we have some orange tables out in the atrium underneath our core value signs. We have a gift for you there. If you fill out and drop your Orange Connect card, which is in the seat back in front of you, off with one of our volunteers, there's a gift for you. So, and if, you haven't, if you've never done that and you've been here for years and years and years, there's a gift. So go grab yourself a gift. So before I hop into this message, uh, we, we, work, we work here Mondays through Thursdays. So we take Fridays off. We work Sundays through Thursdays. So we take Fridays off. Uh, and so typically on Fridays, I get to stay at home with my four-month-old, Silas. So I am not a stay-at-home dad. Like, like two days of that, I would go crazy. But the one day, it's all right. I like it. I'm good with it. So this last week, uh, I have to like prepare my message, right? I have to make sure I don't preach regularly, so I have to make sure that I'm comfortable with the words I'm about to say to you guys. So I did it this week with Silas. So I was in the kitchen. I had Silas in his little froggy chair. He was up. I had him up on the countertop, and I'm speaking. I'm doing my message right to Silas. He's four months old. He made it through the first 15 minutes. No crying. He didn't sleep. He felt good about the message. He was saying Amen every couple of seconds. So he was smiling. So I expect that from y'all. Now, after 15 minutes, he did start crying. So I don't know if there's something in the message at that 15 minute part that like turned him off. Y'all can let me know, you, if you, but, but he made it. So you guys can too. Amen? Amen. I love it. So today I have this really incredible privilege of introducing our new sermon series titled Normalized. And I know some of y'all are looking at this like, what does a flower have to do with prayer? And honestly, the answer is nothing. Like, I just thought it was a really cool picture. So I chose that. Uh, so this series is, it's the culmination of things that God has placed on my heart, on Bart's heart, on Chris's heart, on the staff's heart um, for really the last nine months. You've probably heard us use this phrase, normalized prayer. And this comes from a place of wanting to see prayer become a normal presence and practice in our lives. So back in January, I started having conversations uh, with folks and I began to notice a trend. When talking about prayer, I'd pretty much always get the same response. Well, I don't like to pray for people. Or, well, praying for people is like, it's the furthest thing from my comfort zone. Or, well, I don't know how to pray for people. I believe that we live in a culture, especially here in America, and maybe exclusively here in America, where people are fearful of praying out loud. They actually get nervous when they're called upon to say a prayer in front of anyone. And I think we can all probably relate to this to some degree. Just picture yourself sitting in a small group, okay? You're in a small group, you're in a group of people, and the leader 
or someone stands up and says, okay, who wants to pray? And that person is typically, at least in the beginning, they're like, this is awesome. Somebody's going to pray. Who wants to pray? And uh, most likely no hands go up, right? Like nobody is like, I'm about to pray. Nobody's saying that. In fact, I bet that there's some people in this room right now who's got a little of that PTSD, heart's starting to beat fast. You're like, I don't want to pray for people, right? So what ends up happening is the leader of the group, and look, I, my, I do this all the time. The leader of the group like starts searching out, all right, who looks like they're at least somewhat willing to pray? All right, Philip, you pray. So they call on someone to pray. It's almost as if it's like a punishment. The leader's like, all right, if none of y'all are gonna pray, then I'm gonna pick on someone who is gonna pray. So it's this punishment, right? So I was a youth pastor in my early days in ministry. Long, long time ago, like 10 years ago. I, I was a youth pastor. We'd go to my favorite restaurant after youth group. It was, it's called Skyline Chili. And listen, y'all. Thank you, whoever said that, amen. Skyline Chili is the place to go. If, if, if I had my way, we would have one here in Evansville. I'd go to it every day. I'd be much fatter, but, it, but I'd be so much happier. So anyways, we would order food and then we'd play a game where you, like, you put your thumb on the table like this or you put your finger on your nose. And what happens is that you, you would be sitting there and like everybody would have their thumb on the table except for you or everyone would have their thumb on your nose except for you and then they'd be like, all right, Jacob has to pray. So it was this game of like, Whoever was the last to do it would be the one to pray. We were actually trying to get out of praying. And before you even start to question me, that was instituted before I became the youth pastor. So I was not the one trying to get people out of praying. We did this other crazy thing where if someone ate before we prayed, we made them pray for our dinner. And look, to this day, I will like not eat before we pray because I'm scared that I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be made fun of. My wife's gonna be, we're gonna sit at home and Steph's gonna be like, oh, Jacob ate, he's gotta pray. Like, come on. It was a punishment. Today though, I wanna take back the sacred that is prayer. I want us to gain knowledge on what prayer is and why it's so important. But more so, I want us to be excited to pray. I want this to be something we're excited about. Prayer should be easy. Prayer should be life-giving. We shouldn't hesitate to say, I'll pray. Prayer shouldn't be used as a punishment. And honestly, I'm talking to myself here too. Like I still, I still think, like I really just wanna sound eloquent when I pray. Like I'm, I'm back with the worship team and I'm like, all right, if I sound really eloquent, then they'll look at me like I know what I'm talking about and then they'll think highly of me and then, but it doesn't, it, I, I, my uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law and mother-in-law were in town this weekend. They actually just left. And I went to dinner and a movie. We went and saw Shang-Chi, Shang-Chai, whatever it is, with uh, the movie, the Marvel movie. Anyways, Shren and I were talking about prayer. And he's like, you know, I used to, I used to like, I would plan what I was gonna pray before I would actually pray it. I would sit there as someone else is praying, not listening to what they're saying, and I would plan what I was gonna say. I would plan it so that I would sell, sound really eloquent. I'm like, yeah, I still do that. Prayer is important. Prayer is valuable. And this sermon series, normalized, we're gonna do it for the next three weeks. Uh, Bart's preaching next week, Rich is preaching the week after that. 
Hopefully, this series will answer some questions. And today, I want to explore what does prayer normalized look like? I'm going to fix this real quick, though, because it's going to drive me crazy. One second. Y'all talk amongst yourselves. Sorry. Excuse me. This is driving me crazy. Hey. No, I'm good. I got it. Thank you. It was like over the side, like it was going to fall down my arm. I should have done that before I walked out here. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your words. Thank you that you are good. Oh, thank you that you are good. God, I pray that the words that I speak this morning uh, will just be altered and changed into words that move hearts. Lord, I pray that your words would be spoken this morning. God, I pray that you would be glorified this morning. All glory, all power and honor belongs to you alone. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So A.W. Tozer, has, has anybody here heard of A.W. Tozer? Awesome, great, love it. So he's my favorite author. Tozer, uh, he's, he's like 70 years ago was when he started writing. His stuff is phenomenal. I love him. If you've heard me preach before, you've heard a quote by Tozer. If we've talked about Jesus or worship or prayer for more than like 10 minutes, like one-on-one, you've probably heard me quote him. And today, I've got the quote for prayer. This is like, this is the quote. This is the most eloquent language ever used to talk about prayer. You ready? Guys, come on. Are we ready? Okay. All right. The key to prayer is simply praying. The key. Okay, guys, come on. This is power right here. No, the key to prayer is simply praying. That's just a joke. I just had to use a Tozer quote. This is a great quote, though. But So as we dive into what normalized prayer looks like, I want us to consider some things regarding the theology of prayer. So these are things I think we should consider and will hopefully give us all the same starting point when it comes to understanding prayer. So we're going to jump right in. Is God personal and is God responsive? Does God want to have relationship with me? The answer to that question is yes. So God speaks and he moves our heart. So God speaks and he moves our heart. We have these things, I call them impressions, or what I call words from God. These could be pictures while praying or scripture that pops in your mind. These are words from God. These are things that moves our heart. A lot of times as I'm praying, I'll ask God for a word. I'll just say, God, please give me a word. And I'll wait and listen until God puts something on my heart. We pray in here as a worship team, production team, before service. And what we'll do is we'll pray individually in the chairs. And then I'll call everybody to come together. And I'll say, hey, has anybody gotten a word? Has anybody gotten an impression today? Has God said anything to you this morning? A lot of times... We get really cool things. Joe's today was home, this idea of being home uh, together. Uh, Tabitha had this word of fire, like keeping that fire that we have burning for God. And on Tuesday, Rich, Bart and I were were talking. I had this like word as we were praying about, uh, Jeff, you're gonna have to help me again. Branding, (laughs) cattle branding, of God branding the staff with excitement. This is something I've never thought of. I've never thought of like branding a cow in any way, shape, or form. I'm a a city boy. I don't even know what cows look like. Like, I don't think of that. 
But, but, but God somehow put on my heart this idea of branding a cow. I even started the conversation, I was like, like prodding or something? Is that what you do when you put, and Bart was like brand, I think is what you're trying to say. So God speaks and he moves our heart. We speak that back to him. So when we receive a word, when, we, when, we, when, when Joe was talking about home this morning, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll speak that back to him. We'll pray into that. We'll start to pray, okay, God, give, give the staff excitement. Brand us with excitement. We'll speak that back to him. We pray into what he's putting on our hearts, and that moves his heart. And that actually opens his hand to release resources into our world. And a lot of times when, when, you know, when I say that, you would think, oh, this is like economic of some, some kind. But these are creativity, ideas, motivation. These are the answers to prayer that we're seeking. So God speaks. He moves our heart. We speak that back to him. We pray into what he's putting on our hearts. And that moves his heart to release resources into our world. So is God personal? Yeah. So we have terms such as Lord, Father, and King that suggests that God is in fact personal. We see that God is personal and relational in the life of Jesus. Philip asked Jesus to show him and the other disciples the Father. And Jesus responded that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you have notes, if you have a bulletin, you, have, you can flip it over and there are some notes on the back. And then you can use a pen that's in the seat back in front of you. You can write that. Okay. It's important to know that when we pray, we are praying to a God who is personal. He wants to and promises to be responsive to those who commune with him. I'm gonna say that one last time. It's important to know that when we pray, we are praying to a God who is personal. He wants to and promises to be responsive to those who commune with him. The second thing, we need to think about today is the imminence of God, which put simply means that he is happening or, or he is. So all throughout history and to this day, we see God moving. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God interacting with and engaging humanity. In the life of Jesus, we see God's plan for humanity at work. In Acts 17, 27, Paul says, he did so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God is not absent from the world that he created. God is not living in silence. God is an active and present part of our world. He didn't just wind us up and let us run our course. He is a living, constant, and dynamic presence in our world. So the third thing that I want us to consider today, the third thing I want us to think about is this. God has the power to act. Or put simply, we pray to a powerful God. So Jesus says, we've all heard this, all things are possible with God. We've all heard that, right? Uh-huh, right? Come on, y'all. I love this back and forth. I love it. All things are possible with God. We sing songs about this. We read this like all over social media. It's one of those things that just we're inundated with this fact that God is all powerful and that he can do anything. And honestly, that's a good thing. Like I think that's awesome that, that it's something that we see over and over. But what I'm afraid of 
is that it will be just, it'll just become another saying. It's just something that makes us feel better when we look at it, but doesn't actually change how we interact with God. It's like the song, uh, this is how I fight my battles, right? We'll make, that's a statement. This is how I fight my battles. Well, what is? Well, me saying this thing over and over, this is how I fight my battles. That's, no, it's recognizing the power that God has to fight our battles through worship. We pray to a powerful God, and that should encourage you right now. That should influence how you think about God and how you interact with him. But me just saying that, that's just the same as Facebook saying it to you, right? So what does the Bible say? Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's read that one last time. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You see, he's actually more powerful than we can imagine. He's more powerful than we could ever think about. That should influence how you pray. That should influence That should change how you interact with him and how you think about him. So that leads me to the fourth thing. Can God, the all-powerful, so we know that we're praying to a powerful God, he's more powerful than I could even imagine, can God be influenced? And this is probably something that we all think about and struggle with when we're praying. There's this tension between knowing that God can and will do what he wants And if our prayers will make a difference or even influence God on on our behalf at all. And this tension can be so thick that it causes people to just not pray. But in the New Testament, we see clearly that prayer does get a response. In Matthew, we're told, ask and it will be given to you. In James 4, we see something very similar. James says, when you ask... You do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So this shows us that there's some kind of cause and effect between asking God for something and receiving from God. A failure to ask can result in a failure to receive. But asking with impure motives can also result in a failure to receive. So as we pray, we must let God examine and purify our hearts and motives as a part of our prayer lives. 1 Corinthians 3 says we are God's co-workers. I love that. We're God's co-workers. God being relational and wanting relationship with us actually means that he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from you. He wants to partner with us through our prayers. We are God's co-workers. God isn't needy. See, it sounds like when I say that, it sounds like, well, God's needy. He just, he really wants relationship. He's like a four on the Enneagram. He really just wants to be liked. That's me. But God isn't needy. He just loves interaction with you. He loves interaction with his people. So God initiates, we respond, and he responds to our response. And the cool thing is, the kingdom of God The kingdom of God has been centered around worship and prayer from the very beginning. 
Revelation 4 says, day and night, they never stop. Day and night, night and day, they never stop. Forever. Day and night, always, always, they never stop. Well, what are they doing? They're worshiping. They're praying. They're receiving the prayers from the saints, from us. Agreeing with who he is, is worship. Agreeing with holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that's worship. Agreeing with what he's doing, that's prayer. We pray to a powerful God. We pray to a God who desires relationship. So the last thing that we need to consider today, this is not the end of my message, just so you know. (laughs) I'm saying the last thing like we're done. We're not, sorry. The last thing we need to consider today is that we are weak and we need help. Because of Adam's sin, we've fallen into a sinful state and we're unable to help ourselves. This gets, it's heavy right here. So let's lighten the mood a little bit. Has anybody seen the show Parks and Recreation? Okay, good, a couple people. So this is not gonna land, that's okay. Have you seen Parks and Rec? Okay, so there's this guy, Andy Dwyer, and he, he, he's hilarious and he made some mistakes and uh, so he's like, he's like walking around saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know. And it's the, the meme is when we get to heaven, and that's Adam walking around like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did this to you guys. I'm sorry. If you've seen Parks and Rec, it'll land better. So go home and watch Parks and Recreation. So because of Adam's sin, we've fallen into a sinful state, and we're unable to help ourselves. Through Jesus, we're provided with a way to move from this sinful state to a heavenly state. While still living in this sinful world, we can, through Jesus, access the heavenly age that is to come. What I mean is that we have the advantage of being able to request, through prayer, assistance from heaven. We actually have access to the resources of heaven through the Holy Spirit. He helps us in our weakness. Romans 8 says, and in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us and our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of our heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us. We have access through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, to the resources of heaven. He helps us. Left to ourselves without that line of communication, without prayer, the enemy will see us as an easy target. I believe that when we recognize that we're weak and that we need help and we understand that Holy Spirit is here to help us, we will want to become more active in prayer. And actually, I think that when we understand that God is personal, imminent, powerful, powerful, influenceable, and that we are weak and need help, that we will see the value of constant prayer and consistent prayer. I recently heard someone say that when we persist in prayer, our prayer life progresses from duty to discipline to delight. When we persist in prayer, our prayer life goes from something we feel like we have to do to something we set aside time to do to something we enjoy doing. So this morning, as we think about prayer being normalized, we're going to look at a passage in Acts 3. So here we are. It's the beginning of the message. Thank you guys. Forgetting with me. 
Acts 3. If you have your Bibles or your Bibles app, you can turn there. It'll also be up on the screen. I want to set the scene for you quickly. Jesus had just recently ascended into heaven. His disciples were alone. They didn't know what to do. They were a little scared. And then in Acts 2, they, there was something that happened called Pentecost. They received the Holy Spirit. We sing a song called Rest on Us. It says fire and wind, come and do it again. That's talking about Pentecost. It's this really crazy story in Acts 2. I challenge you to go read it because it's awesome. This is right after that. So one afternoon, Peter and John went to the temple for the three o'clock prayer. As they came to the entrance called the Beautiful Gate, they were captured by the sight of a man crippled from birth, being carried and placed at the entrance to the temple. He was often brought there to beg for money from those going in to worship. When he noticed Peter and John going into the temple, he begged them for money. Peter and John, looking straight into the eyes of the crippled man, said, look at us. Expecting a gift, he readily gave them his attention. He was excited. Then Peter said, I don't have money, but I'll give you this. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Peter held out his right hand to the crippled man. As he pulled the man to his feet, suddenly power surged into his crippled feet and ankles. The man jumped up, stood there for a moment, stunned, and then began to walk around. As he went into the temple courts with Peter and John, he leapt for joy and shouted praises to God. When all the people saw him jumping up and down and heard him glorifying God, they realized it was the crippled beggar they had passed by in front of the beautiful gate. Astonishment swept over the crowd for they were amazed over what had happened. What does prayer normalized look like? That's the question today. What does prayer normalized look like? It looks like this story here in Acts. What does prayer normalized look like? It's believing that we have that what we have to offer by way of prayer is better than gold or silver. It's believing that what we have to offer is life-changing and then acting on that. It's acting on that belief that what we have by way of prayer is life-changing. It's going and doing the stuff. When I was 17 years old, I worked for a restaurant called the Half Day Cafe. So it was open from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., so half the day. And this restaurant's where I believe my life was completely altered. If I hadn't worked there, I don't think I would know my wife, Stephanie. I don't think I'd be working in a church. I don't even think I would be playing music. None of that happened at the restaurant. It was people I met at the restaurant who introduced me to Jesus. That's a story for another day. Has nothing to do with this message. <laughs> One of the people I would wait on was a guy named Skip. Now, Skip was a big, happy dude. He came into the restaurant often, and he would always be meeting with other guys. So I waited on him often enough that I, that I actually got to know him a little bit. Um, I actually ended up going to the same church as him. It's where I met Stephanie. And my father-in-law is actually now and was at the time really good friends with him. So the thing that blew me away about Skip was how normal prayer was to him. The first time I waited on him, as I was walking away with the order, Skip stops me and says, Jacob, we're going to pray over our food before we eat, and we'd like to pray for you. So how can we pray for you today? So the first time he asked me that, it blew me away. I had, I had never honestly had someone I didn't know ask me how they could pray for me. I mean, it obviously impacted me. Here we are 17, 18 years later talking about that one time Skip asked me how he could pray for me. But to normalize prayer even further, 
He actually prayed for me at his table in the middle of this tiny little restaurant in front of all of my friends. So here I am, not really a solid Christian by any stretch of the imagination, being prayed over, looking like a weird guy in the middle of this restaurant. And all my friends are looking at me like I'm crazy. I wasn't even the one doing the prayer. I'm not the crazy one. Skip is, you know. <laughs> but, th- but that is normalized prayer. When prayer becomes a part of our life, when praying becomes a part of our daily activities, even when it's uncomfortable or goes against the grain, that's when prayer is normalized. I recently read an article that was titled, I prayed for you is one of the most powerful things you can say to someone. I prayed for you is one of the most powerful things you can say to someone. And that might be true. I mean, it's nice to hear that someone has prayed for you, right? The most powerful thing, however, that you can do for someone is to pray for them in their presence. Can I pray for you right now? Seven little words. Can I pray for you right now? Seven challenging little words. Peter didn't look at that man at the beautiful gate and say, hey, look, man, I know you're hurting. I can see you got a little sign that says you need some money. It looks like you can't walk or whatever. Uh, I, I don't have any money to give you, but I'll pray for you when I get home or whatever. Bye. No, He prayed right there in that man's presence. He had confidence and he said, in Jesus' name, get up. And that man leapt out of there with joy. Can I pray for you right now? It's costly. It's difficult. When you pray for someone in their presence, you're saying God can move right here and right now. And that's a risk. You're saying that you believe in a God more powerful than imaginable. And that he's going to move when we ask him to because he loves us. There's this old saying, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I don't really like cheesy sayings like that. But it's true. Having faith that God is going to move, having faith that he wants to involve himself in our lives and then acting on that faith, that's a risk. Can I pray for you right now? I want to challenge you today. The next time you're getting ready to say, I'll pray for you. The next time you're, you're getting ready to just say, okay, well, I'll put you down for prayer at some point in time in my life in the next 10 years. The next time that you're like listening to someone talk and they're like, hey, something hurts on my body. You're like, well... I'll pray for you, never intending to actually pray for them because I do that all the time. (laughs) The next time that you're there, I want you to do something. Instead say, can I pray for you right now? And in faith, believe that our all-powerful God can and will move. Believe that our all-powerful God can and will give you the words to speak. If you're praying for someone for physical, mental, or emotional healing, ask them how they're feeling after you pray. And if they don't feel any different, pray again. Can I pray for you right now? That is prayer normalized. Another way that we can normalize prayer is by praying together as a family. It starts with a husband and a wife spending time in prayer together. As you pray with your spouse, you're actually strengthening the bond between you and your spouse. As we pray with our kids, we're giving them the tools to cultivate their own lives of prayer. 
as we pray with them, we are normalizing prayer for them. Our role as fathers and mothers is to raise our children into good functioning adults. Bart has this saying, he says all the time that he's not raising a, a child, he's raising a future adult. That's true. As Christ followers, our desire is for our children to love the Lord. As we love Jesus, we want them to love Jesus. Proverbs 22, 6 says, start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. As we pray with our kids, we're giving them the tools to build their own lives of prayer, to normalize prayer for them. These times of prayer don't have to be long, drawn out, or eloquent. They should just meet our kids where they are, meeting their interests and needs. Oftentimes, as we're putting Levi and Jackson to bed, we'll ask them what they need prayer for or who they would like to pray for. And a lot of time, it just goes to Papa and Nana or Grammy and Grampy, but it helps develop in them this idea of thinking about praying for people. I like to pray what I consider spontaneous conversational prayers. Like when we're in a car and we pass an ambulance or a car accident, Steph or I will just pray out, God, be with that family. God, be with that ambulance and whatever's going on. God, be with that car accident, whatever happened there. Protect the people there. There's nothing special about that prayer. There's nothing crazy, life-changing. But the boys hear it and it, becomes something, uh, and it becomes something that is normal to them. So now when we pass a car accident or an ambulance with lights on, the boys will sometimes say that prayer themselves. Not only does it create in them uh, this idea of praying for people, but it also helps demonstrate relationship with God over religion. So here's the challenge. Pray with your family. Pray, pray with your children. Pray together as a family. Pray as a married couple. And I, and I know that there are people in here right now who are like, well, I do. I do that. We do that sometimes. What, I, what I'm challenging you to do is to, to carve out 10 minutes of time to do that as a, as a family. Carve out, you know, if you're going to put your bed, kids to bed at 8 o'clock, start a little bit earlier just so that you can pray with your children. Pray as a family, as a married couple. Make prayer a regular routine in your life. Don't worry about eloquence or getting the prayer requests right or knowing exactly what to say. As Romans 8, 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. The words will come. I often just pray, come Holy Spirit, and then wait. All I'm doing is inviting Holy Spirit into that moment of prayer to reveal what God is doing and how to pray. Fathers, if you're a father in this room, look at me right now. Fathers, look at me. Pray with your children. Lead the prayers with your family. There's something about fathers being the one to lead the charge that has lasting effect on our children. Can I pray for you right now? And praying with our families. Two easy ways to begin normalizing prayer in our lives. We're almost done, I promise. We ready to go home? Who's, gonna, who's going out to have lunch? Who's going out to have lunch? Yeah, we are too. I'm starving. I'm hungry. I'm going to finish this up real quick. So as a church, we're hosting an event called 24 Hours of Prayer and Worship. And this is another example of what prayer normalized look like. This is coming up in two weeks, October 15th and 16th, and we're kicking it off with a worship night at 7 p.m. on October 15th, and then proceeding to pray in this auditorium for 24 straight hours while also worshiping for those 24 hours.
there will be eight prayer stations, stations situated throughout the auditorium. And we're inviting you to sign up right outside that door. There's a whole sign on the wall you can see. We're inviting you, church, to sign up to commit to coming into this auditorium and spending one hour in prayer. One hour in prayer. So there's eight prayer stations. That's seven minutes at each one. That's 56 minutes. And then you got four, four minutes just to uh, close your eyes. You can do whatever you want with that four minutes. We're inviting you to come in and pray. These prayer stations will have some valuable tools to help us all cultivate a life of prayer. They'll be full of prayer prompts, prayer requests, ideas on how to pray, and more. And I believe that these 24 hours will be life-changing for anyone who commits to being a part of it. Here's a cool thing. The auditorium will be open for those full 24 hours. So right now, if you're not ready to commit to signing up to coming in for a specific time slot, that's okay. Maybe on Saturday, that 16th, you're watching football at home, and you're like, hey, I want to come in and pray. I want to spend an hour here. The doors are open. So come in. It's open and available. We just want you to be in this room praying with us for that, for one out of those 24 hours, because we believe it's powerful. We, uh, I encourage you to do this as a family. Sign up as a family. Jackson and Levi, they're signed up at 9 a.m. on Saturday. So come in and do it as a family. Go through the prayer stations and pray through them as a family. I really believe this event can help us all grow and we can all become better at praying. So I'm gonna invite the prayer teams to come down. This is another way that we've normalized prayer is by having folks who are, who are able to pray every morning, every Sunday. Maybe for you, the next step in normalizing prayer is joining the prayer team. We have a training that we go through to help give some specific guidance in praying with and for people. Maybe the next step in normalizing prayer for you is coming down for prayer yourself this morning. We believe that offering a time of prayer at the end of every service is so valuable because it acts out everything we just spoke about. So if you need healing this morning, if you're anxious, or if you're wanting to see God move in an area of your life, we invite you. We invite you to come down for prayer this morning. On your way out, there's, uh, we're, we're doing dollar difference this morning, so on your way out, as you, as you uh, pass by, I believe there's some ushers out there, um, we have the great privilege of supporting local ministries through Dollar Difference. So if you're new with us, we do this every month. Um, there will be ushers who will be receiving the Dollar Difference dollars. We believe that by giving $1 for each member of your family, we can make small but powerful impacts in our communities. So don't forget to do that on the way out. Don't forget to sign up for a trunk, for a trunk or treat. Don't forget to sign up for 24 hours of prayer. We want you there. Let's pray real quick and then we'll go home. God, I thank you so much for all that you're doing in this church. I, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing through prayer. God, I pray that you would move and continue to move in and amongst us. Move in our houses as we begin praying with our families. Move uh, in, in, our, in the restaurants we, get, we go to. Move as we, as we begin to pray for people in, in the world, Lord. Can I pray for you right now, God? Make that a statement in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We want to be more like you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great day.